Lord, already we want to say we are so sorry when we get so caught up in things on our little earthly level that we lose track of your voice. We don't know what you're doing and what you're saying. We're just kind of assuming and we're sort of trying to follow, but actually we are missing an intimate walk with you and our ears are not tuned to your voice. And so Lord, we want to start out and just say we're sorry. And tonight, would you tune our ears to your voice? Would you help us make the right choices to quiet our lives, to have some still and down time to listen intently for what you want to say to us. We don't want to run in circles. We do want to follow the voice of the master. We want to be led by your Holy Spirit. And even tonight, as we look some more into the scriptures, would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. So we all know that we should make time to commune with the Lord, but how many of us actually do? How many of us get up early or stay up late or miss a meal sometimes just to be with the Lord or set aside an evening just to speak to Him and just to hear what He wants to say? A disciple is always pursuing more instruction, both from the Lord and from other people. A disciple has a humble heart that hears and is looking for information, impartation, even a rebuke, if that's what's needed. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. If we were going through this book, as Reuben and I like to teach it, in a 10-week process, we memorize scriptures all the way through. And this is one of the scriptures that we memorize. Isaiah 54 and 5 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, or the disciple, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Okay, so notice here he says, He's given me the tongue of a disciple, the tongue of a taught one or a learned one, so that I should know how to speak a word to someone who's weary. He wakens me morning by morning. How many times when you wake up in the morning and you're on the way to start your coffee or on your way to brush your teeth, you're already saying, Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Lord, what do you have for me today? What is in your heart today? Speak to me. I want to hear your voice, Lord. And Lord, not just for me, but speak to me for the people that I'm going to rub shoulders with today. Give me a word for the weary. See, sometimes when you have your quiet time, something will stand out to you and you think, boy, I don't know why that is standing out to me, but I'll, I'll write it down. I hope you all keep a spiritual journal and you write down with the Spirit it highlights to you. So you write it down, you don't know why, but later in the day, someone you're talking to has the exact situation that you now have an answer for because that scripture stood out to you and you took the time to write it down and get it more in your brain and in your memory. And so that's often, our quiet times aren't just for us, although they're primarily for us. We want to build our intimacy with the Lord, so we have devotions every morning or every night, whatever's your best time. But we also say, Lord, awaken my ear to hear what you want to give me to give to a weary person, someone who's tired, someone who's discouraged, someone's going through a hard time. Lord, awaken my ear 
so that I can be your mouthpiece today. Some people say, well, I talk with the Lord all day. I was talking with a one lady and I said, so tell me about your prayer life. When do you pray? What's your best time for prayer? And she said, oh, I talk to the Lord all day long. I'm talking to him as I walk, as I drive, as I pick up the kids. I talk to the Lord all day long. And, you know, we can all have a running dialogue with the Lord. But, you know, I don't believe that fully satisfies his heart because he wants our undivided attention. And there's got to be times that we stop everything else and we say, Lord, I'm just here for you. I want to hear your voice. And I want to speak to you. And I want to build relationship with you. I don't want to just talk to you while I'm doing everything else. Because we can talk, but we can't always hear while we're doing everything else. We don't hear as clearly. We need to clear our minds. We need to clear our schedule and have uninterrupted time alone with the Lord. Set aside time for intercession, where you pray for others, and for just communing with the Lord himself. If we can cultivate a prayer life like that, it will permeate our days. You will feel the presence of the Lord throughout the day if you will set aside time to connect with Him on a deep heart-to-heart -heart level. He has things He wants to share with us. There's a scripture in, in Isaiah 50, I think it's 55, 8 and 9, where he, the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. And, and at one day when I was reading that, the Lord said, when I said that, I was lamenting the fact that my thoughts are so much higher and my ways are so much higher. And you guys don't even connect with me in such a way that I can reveal to you my thoughts and my ways on a higher level. So God has a process for our spiritual growth that involves our hearing and obeying his voice. And so we're going to look at the pattern. I've got it up here. The first thing is he speaks. Now God is always speaking. He speaks through the scriptures to our spirits directly, through preaching and teaching. He speaks through others, through circumstances, by giving or removing his peace. And we listen. Isaiah 55, if you're still there, it's just a few pages over. Isaiah 55, the second half of verse 2 says, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul will live. You know what that means if you turn it around. If you do not incline your ear and if you don't come to me and if you don't hear my voice, you will not hear and your soul will not live. It will not thrive. So these are action words. We listen diligently to him. We incline our ear. We come to him. We're listening intently, in, intentionally and we hear him and our souls live. So that's the second thing is we choose to listen to the Lord. If we hear his voice, that will lead to intimacy with him. You know, if you've gone a long time and you haven't heard the voice of the Lord, do you notice that you're not quite as in love with him? The intimacy just wanes. But man, as soon as you start hearing him speak to you again, you hear his voice to your spirit, the scriptures jump off the page and you know he's speaking to you, suddenly you're in love with him again. And it's intimacy, intimacy follows communication with the Father. When we have that intimacy, it leads to passionate love for Him, and it leads to zeal in serving Him. 
God is always speaking, but we're not always listening. So this is up to us. He, uh, he does speak. We need to listen, and then we need to believe what he says. We hear what he says. We need to believe it. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that it's impossible. If we do not have faith in him, it's impossible to... Um, man, I'm messing it up. I'm going to have to look it up. Hebrews 11 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. <clears throat> so it's impossible to please the Lord if we don't have faith, so we believe what he says. <clears throat> and we believe it for us. Number four, we apply it. We receive the word humbly, we obey what we hear, the Word of God is engrafted into our lives. It jumps off the page. It becomes a part of who we are, and it begins to transform us. And, of course, we have to do the Word. We don't just read the Word. We want to obey the Word and do the Word. So the scripture for that is James 1, 21 and 22. And then we are changed. That's the final result. As we obey God's commands and His instructions, we become more and more like Jesus. So if we struggle with the sin of unbelief, we hear the word, number two, but we refuse to believe that it's true for us, number three. Instead, we believe what we have seen or what we've experienced, although it may contrast with the Bible. And if we refuse to believe God's word, we will not apply it and we will not be changed. If we're guilty of pride, we refuse correction. We may see the truth, but believe we don't have to obey like others do. So we see it. We don't think we have to apply it, number four. We think God has a shortcut for us. We may think others need to serve, but I don't need to. It's good to give, but I don't have to. Unbelief, these are the two, the two foundation sins, okay? unbelief and pride and they both show up in this whole pattern of trying to hear from the Lord and walk with him become more like Jesus unbelief makes us believe that we're below the law of grace and what is available to others through God is not available to us for instance we know God loves everyone but he doesn't really love me he forgives everyone their sin but he can't really forgive my sin that's unbelief Pride causes us to believe we're above the law and what applies to others does not apply to us. So we need to repent of both. If we're guilty of unbelief, we need to repent of that. That's a sin. If we're guilty of pride, we need to repent of that. But if we will follow these steps correctly, we will cultivate humility, faith, and intimacy with the Lord. We will become more and more like Jesus. To the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus said two common things. Remember, he was speaking to the churches. There were seven churches of Asia. And to all seven churches, he said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. That's one thing he said to all the seven churches. The other thing he said was, He who overcomes shall I give. And he promised a gift to the different churches if they would overcome. We see here that there's a strong link between hearing and overcoming. 
it's possible that our ability to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil are in direct proportion to our hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, there are 503 references to heaven. There are 156 references to salvation. And there are 18, one, sorry, 813 places where God speaks to his people. God wants to communicate with us. And we need to hear from him. There are common commands to all of us. We're all commanded to make disciples, okay? That's what we're talking about. Of course, there are a lot of common commands. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. There are so many commands that are for all of us, but there are specific instructions that he gives to each of us individually. Our callings are not the same. Our gifts are not the same. Our lives are unique, and our ministries are varied. So each of us need to hear from the Lord ourselves. We can't hear from one another. There are times the Lord will tell us something for someone else, like he wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as a disciple. He gives me a word for the weary. And we do hear for each other at times. But for us to require each other to hear for us, that's not fair. Would it be fair, you know, for me to go to Mark and say, hey, Mark, what's the Lord saying to you about me? Tell me God's word. I need to hear it for myself. We all need to hear from the Lord ourselves. So John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So notice he said, My sheep, not my lambs, not the new believers, but the more mature believers, the ones that are more grown up. They will hear my voice, and I know them intimately. I have an intimate relationship with him, and God forbid that we grow up and we don't really become mature sheep that know his voice. I want to be among those that he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Disciples have trained their spiritual ears to recognize the Lord's voice. They actively listen for him to speak, and they're ready to obey. Their heart is what we read in Psalm 40 when he says, I delight to do your will. Man, is that your heart? Lord, I delight to do your will. I don't want to do my will. I want to do your will. That is my delight. So this is such a key in being a disciple of the Lord, to be able to hear and know the voice of the Lord. There are counterfeit voices in the world today. There are lots of voices. There are false teachers. There's a lot more deception. It's all on the increase. Jesus said, in the last days, the first thing he warned about was there will be an increase of deception. Take care that you're not deceived. We have got to know the word of God and we've got to know the voice of the Lord. All right, now turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to move into the two elements of discipleship. Colossians 1. As you're turning there, I just want to pray again about this and, and would you mind just putting your hands on your ears let's just lay hands on our ears Lord would you open our ears that we could hear your voice Lord we've heard so many voices and sometimes it's like our ears are plugged to your voice and tonight we're asking you in the name of Jesus please open our ears 
please help us to be sensitive to your voice, to know what you're saying and what you're not saying, to follow the gentle whisper, also to catch your eye and see where you're leading us next. Lord, we do want that intimacy with you. We don't want to be on the periphery of the kingdom of God, watching other people run the race, and we're more spectators than taking part. Lord, we want to take part. We want to be right in the middle of what you're doing. We don't want to miss a thing. So, Lord, do a work in us tonight. Cleanse us from having so many of our own agendas that we can't hear your agenda and for being so strong-willed that we don't hear your will. Lord, tonight we surrender again. We want you to be our Lord. We want to follow your lead. We know that's the very best for our lives, and that's what we choose, because you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Colossians 1, 15 through 18 is talking about Jesus, and it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, which means the preeminent one, not that he was born first, but that he is the preeminent one. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That is our master Jesus. Okay, now let's go to Matthew 28. Jesus had died, rose again, appeared to many people over a period of 40 days, and he was ready to ascend back to the Father. In Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So here's the preeminent one. Here's the master. Here's the co-creator. That is the head of the church. He's the head of the body. Everything flows out of him. It all consists from him and for him. And he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what he was saying is, all authority is now mine, and so I'm commanding you to go and to bring everyone and every nation under my authority. Bring them to a place where they submit to me. They yield to my lordship because I am lord of all. And this is how you do it. And he gave him the strategy. So first off, we're going to look at three different aspects of the Great Commission. And the first one is, he said, make disciples of all ethnos, every ethnic group. So it's not just the mm, continents and the nations. It's the ethnic groups in every nation. Everyone needs to be discipled. Unbelievers need to be saved, and then they need to be discipled. But we've got lots of believers in the church that aren't discipled either. So you don't always have to go out and win someone to the Lord. You just need to find someone that's not yet established in the word, established in the faith. They don't know how to pray. 
They're, they don't praise and worship the Lord regularly. They're not walking in victory. And you help them by discipling them, showing them how to walk with Jesus. So that's the first thing. Make disciples of all nations. Number two, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the word baptize is the Greek word baptizo, and it means to make completely wet, to dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, and to overwhelm. And the clearest example that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived 200 years before Christ. This is not in your book. This is free. <laughs> so this Nicander, this physician, wrote this 200 years before Jesus, and it's a recipe for making pickles. Who know they ate pickles back then? So Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable must first be dipped into boiling water and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. And the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. Now, when we are baptized in water, there should be a permanent change. All believers are to undergo water baptism. But we believe that looking at the Greek, Jesus was saying more than just that. He wasn't just giving a method of water baptism. He was saying that we need to be baptizo, fully overwhelmed, fully submerged in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because he says, in the name of, and the word name is the Greek word onoma. And that means nature, character, rank, authority. So if you break it down, Jesus said, that this is the strategy for making disciples of all the nations. You baptize them, you immerse them, in the knowledge of and the experience of God as Father. And then you baptize them in the knowledge of and the experience of Jesus the Son. And then you baptize them in the knowledge of and the experience of the person, the nature, the character of the Holy Spirit. You establish them in relationship with the Godhead. That's the second thing we do. We baptize them. We make them totally wet. And you know what that means for us? It means that we need to know God is Father. We can't teach God is Father to anybody else if we don't know Him as Father. Years ago, I was talking with a young lady, and, and I said to her, you know, what I perceive your problem is you don't know God as Father. And she said, hey, don't talk to me about Father. My father left, my stepfather sexually abused me. I don't want anything to do with father. I love Jesus, I love the Holy Spirit, I don't want anything to do with father. But you know, there's, there's a big problem with that. We're gonna talk about the father more tomorrow. But if we never come into a relationship with the father, we never really find our identity in the kingdom of God. We re never really find our worth. We never find how precious we are to him because all that comes from the father just like you love your earthly dad you run to your earthly dad we run to our heavenly father if we run away from him we will never be the people that he wanted us to be because we find wholeness with the father so he says of all the things that you could teach them about god when you're baptizing them in the name the nature the character of god you could teach him that he's merciful he's gracious 
He's patient and good. He's righteous. He's holy. He's just. But Jesus said the most important thing for them to know is to know him as Father. Isn't that interesting? He so cares about our souls. Jesus didn't come just to save us for eternal life. He wants to save and heal our souls even here now. And knowing him as Father is part of that. When we are immersed into the Father, so we don't just find out about him, we are immersed into the Father as disciples. And when that happens, he lives through us in his compassion, his goodness and righteousness. We become merciful and gracious and patient with others. So that's what a disciple is. They're baptized into the nature of God as Father. Then they're baptized into the nature of Jesus the Son. And then we as disciples baptize others. We immerse others into the nature of Jesus as the Son. So what was the Son like? We'll look at this a whole lot more tomorrow too. But he was obedient to the Father. He was a humble servant. He was a man of prayer. Jesus knew the scriptures. He intentionally made disciples. So we need to know Jesus intimately. We need to reflect him in our lifestyles. Because we're baptized into his name, we should be humble servants, prayerful, gentle, students of the word. We are to share the gospel like Jesus did. He preached the gospel. We should be preaching the gospel, bring healing and freedom to people, make disciples. And then finally, we're to baptize people into the knowledge of and the experience of the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of truth, the helper, the counselor, the comforter. He's the intercessor. He empowers us to minister as Jesus ministered. He sustains us in trials. He helps us pray effectively. We need to know these truths about the Holy Spirit experientially, and we need to be able to teach them to others. That's all part of our making disciples. We bring people into a relationship with the Father. We bring people into a relationship with the Son, and we bring them into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And then we teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. Because if we start out teaching them, you need to do this and this and this and don't do this and don't do this and do do this and do this and don't do that, man, we're teaching a religion. And people are trying to obey in their own energy and their own strength, their own wisdom. They can't do that. But if we first have baptized them, in the nature of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, then they know God's fatherly love and their hearts are captivated by Him. And then they've experienced the grace of Jesus. And then they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and so they can obey all that Jesus commands. So that's, that's the whole strategy Jesus gave for making disciples. We don't just teach them what to do. We first bring them into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the two elements of discipleship, the first one is transformation into the likeness of Jesus through dying to self and living to God. Remember Galatians 2.20, Paul the Apostle said, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. So I don't live my life, I die daily, he said somewhere else, and I live unto God. We put off the old nature. We put on the new nature in Jesus Christ. You see that in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. The new man is righteous and holy. 
and that's what we put on. When we put our trust in Jesus, we surrender to him. We move into a relationship where we are in Christ. We've exchanged our character. He's taken our sin, and he's given us his righteousness and his holiness. Only Jesus can set us free from the bondage of self-love and its destruction because we're all naturally selfish and self-centered, and Jesus can set us free as we're born again. <clears throat> so that's the first element of of. Uh, discipleship it's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus and then the second element is reproducing the life and character of Jesus into others through intentional and strategic disciple making and Reuben covered that so well I'm not going to say much about it I just want to say it is a high honor and responsibility to be entrusted with younger believers to feed the word of God and care for them we're commissioned to teach others about Jesus' character and about his conduct. I think that, that that's what we mostly know to do, teach about his character and teach about his conduct. What we also need to teach is his ministry strategy. Jesus had a strategy for what he did. He preached to the multitudes. He taught in synagogues. He trained and discipled 70, and then he discipled 12 more, and then he spent more time training into leadership three more. He had a ministry strategy, and if we will follow his strategy and teach his strategy, that also is, is a help to keep, keep the boundaries in place. <clears throat> so we're commissioned to teach people about the Lord, but we don't just want to teach it as this is what we have to do, this is what the Word says, this is what the, the life of Jesus. We need to not only teach the Word, we should be living empowered by the Spirit so that we're doing what He did, not just making disciples, not just preaching the Gospel, but we're also healing the sick. We're casting out demons and um, raising the dead. Someone told me the other day, I'm still going to raise the dead. I haven't done it yet, but I'm still going to. We've got a friend, he's a pastor in Mozambique, Africa, and he's raised at least four people from the dead. <clears throat> he says it's really not that unusual, you know, you just call the spirit back into the person. See him raised from the dead. And they see so many more miracles over there because we were so diluted here with so much unbelief and so much worldly thinking. Man, may the Lord set us free. Let's become radical, on-fire disciples of Jesus that take God at his word, obey his word, teach his word, live his word. Our gospel is flawed if it does not show the necessity of denying ourselves and embracing Jesus' lordship. <clears throat> Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, 23. <clears throat> so, I'll say that line again. Our gospel is flawed if it does not show the necessity of dying to self and embracing Jesus' lordship. Like Reuben said, our salvation isn't all about us. Everything is about Jesus, the master. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Our discipleship is flawed if we do not lead believers through the self-denial process into a fervent love relationship with Jesus. If they don't fall in love with him, if they just keep dying to self and they have no joy in their life and, and they have no passion for Jesus, we have messed up somewhere. Because in discipleship, we should bring people into a place where they just love Jesus. They love the Word. They love to worship Him. They're full of joy. They're full of peace. They're walking in an intimate relationship with Him. It's our deep love for Him that motivates us to bring others into a disciplined, devoted relationship with Him. Our goal for them is just as it is for ourselves that they will love the Lord our God with all their hearts, mind, soul, strength, just as we love him with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. You know, our life here on earth is so short. It is so short. But what we do here will determine the rest of eternity for us. Let's not waste time. People need to hear the good news of Jesus. People need to be discipled in their relationship with him. People need to know the love of God the Father. They need to know the grace of Jesus. They need to know the communion of the Holy Spirit. Let's not keep it to ourselves. Let's already begin to ask the Lord, who do you want me to disciple? Who have you brought into my life that I have not yet started discipling, but that's why you brought them in? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your mercy, your grace. Some of us have walked with you for so many years, and yet we're still not doing the basic work of the kingdom. Would you forgive us? And would you set us on fire again? And would you speak to us again, where we know, Lord, exactly what is your will for us now? And we can't grieve over the past, but what we can say is, Lord, what is obedience for me today? What's obedience for me now in my life? What is your word to me now? I don't want to miss it. I don't want to waste a day. Lord, as we go our separate ways tonight, would you go with us and continue to speak to us? (coughs) Would you continue to sensitize our ears to your voice, our hearts to your heart. Would you align us with your will? Make us more like Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.